Welcome to this special series of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, the co-founder of Craft Industry Alliance, an online community for craft business owners. And in this limited series of our podcast called Powering the Creative Economy with Spoonflower, we're focusing on, on artists and makers who have created innovative businesses using Spoonflower, the world's largest custom fabric, wallpaper, and home decor digital marketplace. In today's conversation, we're taking a deep dive into making shoes with our guest, Melissa Qual. Melissa is a business owner, sewing instructor, feminist, creativity advocate, and she sells DIY shoe kits called the Espadrilles Kits. Melissa has brought the magic of making and sewing to students across the country and collaborated with a variety of sewing professionals, including fabric companies, pattern designers, and prominent bloggers. She's also joined her love of sewing with her passion for social justice by creating a mindful wardrobe consisting of only handmade or thrifted clothes. In short, she completely stopped buying new clothes. Spoonflower provides on-demand digital printing using an eco-friendly, sustainable, and scalable manufacturing process. They like to say, if you can dream it, we can print it. And Melissa Quell took them up on that offer. Let's hear how she did it. So Melissa, tell us a little bit about your background and where you grew up and what you were like as a kid. Oh, I love that question. Um, so I grew up in Minnesota. I currently live in New Jersey, but I grew up in rural Minnesota for the most part. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of, um, there's a lot of like making and making do that is in my family. My grandfather was a furniture maker. He also made like moonshine and my grandmother did a ton of sewing. My great grandmother did a ton of sewing for the Pendleton Wool Company. So it was just like, it's really in my blood. Um, you know, my mom would make like my Easter dresses and stuff. Um, and I always loved, yeah, I mean, you know, if I had nothing to do and there was paper and there was tape, I would be like creating some random, you know, structure out of paper and tape. Um, so I always really enjoyed creating and making, um, and learned to sew at a really young age. And what did you think you wanted to do when you grew up and what did you go on to study in college? So I was really passionate about politics and in particular passionate about fighting poverty. So in college I studied, I got, a. Uh, an undergrad in economics and in social work, hoping to kind of combine those two things, and then went on to grad school in public policy. And then I had kids. And I kind of realized that as passionate as I was about, I was doing um, research on how to fight poverty at the time for a legal services group out here. And as passionate as I was about that, I felt, um, I felt like the I felt very pinched for time and energy. And I also felt frustrated that I was creating this research that wasn't really advancing anything, or it felt like it wasn't advancing anything at the time because it wasn't politically connected. So I started teaching sewing to my coworkers. (laughs) (laughs) During our lunch hour, they would bring their machines that they had like stored in the back of their closet, you know, and um, I would teach them how to sew. And I was like, 
I really love this. Like this brings me to life, you know, and I find a lot of value in the work I was doing. And I still am really passionate about, you know, how policy shapes our, our lives and how it impacts people. Um, but it wasn't where, what was like lighting my fire, you know? So, um, yeah. So did you make a pivot after you became a mom or how did that transpire? I did. I really did. I, I, I gave it a good college try at continuing to work and I just felt, you know, really depleted by that experience. And I found parenting really intangible. Like, I never know if I'm doing a good job or not. Totally. You know? <laughs> it's like, have I done this right? I don't know. And sewing offered me this really tangible feeling. Like, I don't know if I did a great job at my work today or at my parenting, but I know that I made a pillowcase and it's a solid pillowcase. So it sort of grew into feeling like, how can I get more of this in my life? And it allowed me the flexibility to be with my kids when they were young and deal with their varying schedules. So right. yeah, I did make that pivot. Right. Okay. And so you started a site called A Happy Stitch and um, that's like the home base for everything that followed. Um, and so was that essentially like a blog for you at first kind of just documenting hey, I made the pillowcase and here's what it looks like. Absolutely. And like, I made pants for my kids and, you know, crappy photos. Like, I wasn't very good at it. Um, but it was a little bit earlier in the world of blogs. And so people were sort of connecting, like Flickr was still a big yeah. thing, you know? So you connect over these photos and, oh, you make kids clothes. And, you know, it was a very uh, warm community, I feel like at that time. Um, in many ways, it still is like that, but um, the platforms have changed a lot, and a lot, yeah. a lot of those people. I mean, I you were a part of that too. Yeah, a lot totally. of those people they've professionalized, right. you know, as have I, and moved into how am I? How is this more of a business? It's still something I love, but it's definitely you know more of a business. And you undertook some different challenges, um, and it was several years back where you sort of made a, a personal pledge to not buy any new clothes. That you would make your clothes, or maybe thrift some of them. I'm not sure. Um, and so, tell us a little bit about the sort of origin of that idea, and then how it went and how it morphed over time. Oh, thanks for asking about that. I love talking about that. Um, yeah, it was about six years ago. I think I'm in my sixth year. And it was maybe a year after the Rana Plaza collapse in Bangladesh. And I just could not square my values with my shopping habits. Um, and yeah, I decided I'll just try it for a year. And I only bought secondhand clothes or made my own clothes. And it was just so easy to do it. It was just so simple. Like thrift stores are absolutely chock full of beautiful, well-made clothes. I mean, some of them, of course, are not well-made and not good quality, but a lot of them are. And I also enjoyed the challenge, the creative challenge of making, you know, what I was missing from my closet, making it myself. So I just kept going and going. and. I guess it's like a trying out vegetarianism. Like, you know, you try it, you're like, oh, this food is really good. And I feel great. Like, 
you're not going to go back. So yeah, so far it takes a little bit of planning ahead for special events or something, you know, if there's a wedding coming up or something where I need a special kind of dress, like, um, we have a dirty Santa party every year with friends and I need a Santa sweater, you know, but I can find that on, especially like bread up sites, like bread up where I can search through thousands of items. I just have to be ready to plan ahead. I can't buy it last minute. Right. That's literally the only inconvenience. And so how long has it been that you haven't really bought any new clothes? I haven't bought any new clothes in six years. Okay. That's great. I think that's so inspiring. And, um, and I know that you were playing around with some different kinds of business ideas of ways to kind of turn this passion for reuse, for sewing into, you know, a business that would really sustain you as your kids got older um, and you were ready for that. And so there were some different ideas that, that kind of came and went, but what, really stuck, it seems like, is making shoes. So tell us about how that came to be, that you landed on espadrilles as a thing um, that the world needed. Yeah, Um, you're absolutely right. I was kind of like, as my kids got older, they needed me less. I was like, but I don't want to leave this creative world behind. I had started teaching sewing classes and um I'm really inspired by supplies, like a walk through, you know, a Michael's or a walk through a really good craft hobby store is so inspiring. Like, ooh, scraps of leather. Ooh, this. And it was on one of those kind of journeys that I picked up um, an espadrille shoe sole. It was just on the rack. And I was like, I cannot believe that I can make my own shoes. This is crazy. There's just a shoe sole here, you know? Um, And I got it home. This was a while ago. Got it home. And it required all these special supplies that I then had to go on Amazon, the right needle, the right thread. You know, I was like, ah, that's a pain. But I started teaching the class uh, locally. And then I was asked to teach the class in California at the Craftation Conference. And every time I taught the class, everybody felt exactly the same way that I did, which is like, wow, I can make my own shoes. I feel like a million dollars. This is amazing. Um, And also struggled with finding all the right supplies. So I was like, you know, I should really just turn this into a kit. And um, yeah, so that's what I did. Right. It was so you could see from those in-person experiences that people were jazzed. And so, but, but then also had this pain point of sourcing everything needed. So you figured, all right, I can put this together, maybe sell some with my classes, you know, to my students and maybe sell some on Etsy or something like that. But it took off in this like, massive way and a lot of it thanks to you and we'll talk about all the collaborations that you've done and ways that you've really worked to um, expand out from that initial idea because I think they're really remarkable but um, but but talk a little bit about the sort of I don't know reception it got when you did create this kit and and put it online and like make it available to everybody because it's been it's been a crazy ride it has been a crazy ride yeah I mean and, and I think it's a testament to 
you know, going with that idea that you just, that just lights you up and trusting and having faith that it's going to do the same thing for somebody else, because that really is what happened, that it was, and I had taught a few classes. And so there were some people talking to other people or showing people, you know, Hey, look what I made. I made my own shoes. Um, so I think there was a little bit of word of mouth. Um, but it did really spread. And I do think it spread a lot through, I mean, I don't do advertising. I just haven't done that yet. I mean, in part, because I haven't gotten myself together to do it, but um, in part, because I just haven't needed to, to keep it at the pace where I can comfortably, you know, do this on my own. Um, And I think it is because it's just, there's a lot of shoemaking out there now. Um, When I started, there wasn't as much. Uh, but espadrilles are also really accessible. You don't have to have a video course to do it. You don't have to have, you know, complicated materials. They're really pretty simple to make. And if you can sew a pillowcase, you can sew the shoe top you use to stitch onto the espadrille shoe sole. They're not hard. And so I think that's a huge part of the appeal is you get this kit in the mail and it's got everything you need in it, except the sewing machine. You need your, to do your own sewing. Um, but it's got everything you need to make a pair of shoes. And I think that's pretty, that's just exciting. You know, who is excited by that? Yeah, absolutely. And they sell out really fast and um, it's been fun to watch it grow. And so talk a little bit about how you began using spoon flour as a way to source some unique fabrics that could be made into shoes um, and, and why you felt like Spoonflower would be a good place to do that. Well, it's really interesting because it really was my customers like coming, you know, just writing to me and saying, because I sell kits that don't include any fabric at all. And customers were writing to me and saying, oh, this is so perfect. I was able to get exactly the fabric I want from Spoonflower and make my own pair of shoes in exactly the fabric I want. Or I designed fabric and I printed it through Spoonflower and created my own shoes in my own design. I mean, it really was coming from people telling me, and I've always loved Spoonflower and loved meeting, um, I think it was Teresa and Meredith who worked for Spoonflower when I was at Craftcation. And so, in fact, I had a customer who was like, I made a pair of shoes for my gynecologist with uterus fabric from Spoonflower. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I was like, I love you. That is awesome. <laughs> and I mean, I never would have thought I should source some uterus fabric, you know? <laughs> so Spoonflower offers people this opportunity to pick like, exactly that random fabric that they love, you know, or maybe it is conventional fabric, but it's just exactly what they want. Um, So I worked with Spoonflower to create a coupon code and figure out exactly which fabrics work for the shoes. So some of my kits that come without fabric, they come with a coupon code for 50% off, like the fabric you need from Spoonflower in the quantities that you need and the substrate. So that was really, that's really the best partnership that we've had um, so far. And then I applied for the small business grant as well. Yeah. And we'll talk about both of those things. So first, tell us what um, substrate, because I'm 
guessing you probably tried a few, ended up working the best for shoemaking? Yeah, so I, I, I can answer that with one caveat, because they have a new substrate that I haven't tried yet, a linen cotton blend that I'm dying to try out. Um, but the lightweight cotton twill is the perfect for the outside of the fabric. It's the perfect weight and tightness. It's a very tight fabric. Um, it's not too heavy. It's not too light. It's just perfect. And then I, and it also comes wide enough that if you get a fat quarter of it, you have just enough to make your shoe. Right. So it's like, it checks all the boxes. Um, and then for the inside, there's a lining to the shoe and I use the organic cotton sateen because it's just really nice and soft. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um, okay. So talk a little bit about some of the collaborations that you've done, because I feel like maybe it's every month, maybe I have that cadence wrong, but you're working with all different kinds of designers and artists who come at the espadrille in all sorts of ways, whether they're weaving it or they're making it from leather or they're using their own uh, fabric that they've designed or just all kinds of um, different approaches. And it just continues to, you know, delight the the customer and make them excited to, you know, oh, now I want to make new espadrilles with this different sort of look. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that, because that is exactly how I feel about it. The collaborations are absolutely my favorite thing. And it just comes back to that moment of like, how many different things can you make, you know, the with just this basic humble supply? Like, it's just that trolling the aisles and finding an amazing supply that could go in all these different directions. Yeah, I've worked with um, crochet with a and wheel of flaxseed twine created a crochet pair and a woven pair. And Treasure from Nikki and Mallory has created two different kinds of leather shoes that are just stunning. I mean, every single time I collaborate with someone and they come back to me with what they've made, I'm like, I can't believe that it. They all look so different. They all look so incredible. And it is true. Those are the kits that sell out sometimes in days. You know, yeah, I remember one um, that was made with Aruna from Boku, and I tried to get one, and I was like, "Oh no!" Because they're they were punch needle. Yeah, they're so cool. They are so cool. Those punch needle ones. Yeah, I mean, and it's really cool. Yeah, we've done that twice, and it is like I have to be, you know, hydrated, well rested. <laughs> <laughs> so ready <laughs> Aruna was like welcome to the world of punch needle oh like, my gosh love it yeah yeah and rightly so because it's just so textural and beautiful and and just the number of designs you can do is infinite it's super cool I love punch needle um okay and so when you do collaborations like this because I'm betting some listeners are, are thinking oh I'd love to collaborate with other artists but I don't really know you know am I supposed to just dm them on instagram or like how do I get this started? So do you have any tips for, you know, securing some collaborations? I'm sure you're, you know, looking at a lot of artists, a lot of different makers, admiring their work, but then how do you strike up the conversation to say, Hey, do you want to collaborate with me and make some shoes? I mean, the simple answer would be ask, just ask, because the worst thing that someone can say is no. And I've had people say, no, it doesn't work for them. It isn't personal. It just doesn't work for them. And that's okay. 
But I think the other part of your ask needs to be making sure you make it clear what they're going to get out of it and what you're going to get out of it. You know, this is going to benefit you in this way. I pay the artist $10 for every kit or, you know, 10 or sometimes in a different range, but generally that's how much. And here's what I expected, what I'll need from you. I love your work, you know, knowing the artist well, knowing what they do well. And in my case, I often will suggest I could see your work do it looking like this on the shoes. And so give them a vision for how it might, you know, how they might take this idea and run with it. Um, that would be my tip is, you know, you're very clear, you give them what they're going to get out of it, as well as what you are. Um, and you know, their work, you're not just sending a cold email, you're like, you can fangirl. It's okay. Everybody likes that, you know? Yeah, totally. And I do think those co-marketing opportunities after the shoe kits launch are really beneficial. I mean, obviously for, for you and for them, um, because now you've got somebody who has probably a, a mostly different audience than yours saying, look what I made, here's where you can go and get it. And then that grows everybody's accounts and following and newsletter and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's advertising without advertising. And it's just as we're advertising by presenting a, a sparkling, fabulous new thing that is really, truly delightful and wonderful. Um, yeah, so it works out really well. I think, I think you're right. It's often very different audiences because it takes a whole different medium to a different place. Um, so it grabs people from all those different worlds, just crafters from all over um, that come back to the shoe kit. And I remember you had, and I know this was mixed in with the pandemic when everything was really, really crazy, but you had like a palette, or maybe it was more than a palette of espadrille souls like delivered i remember do my am i remembering this correctly and you were like oh gosh i have to like take delivery of this massive because like your soul so the source of your souls changed and then you had to resource them in europe or something and it was like this massive intake of <laughs> new products it was awful i've done that twice it's just a nightmare um yeah, the company that I originally worked with to source the shoe soles discontinued doing espadrilles, um, actually kind of early on. And they let me originally just buy up what they had left over that was just sitting in their warehouse. They weren't going to do this anymore. So um, that when that ran out, I had to find a different source and ended up finding a supplier who sources them. The shoe soles themselves actually are made in China. But this company was in Germany, and they were willing to wholesale them to me. Um, but it meant navigating the whole world of customs, the world of shipping and logistics, all by myself. I mean, I know on top of doing everything else, I was trying to navigate like a customs broker and that person communicating with a trucking company. And these, yeah, massive truck shows up in my just suburban neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> these pallets full of shoe soles. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> How did we get here? Right, right, right. But, you know, I feel like that's one of the most exciting things about being an entrepreneur is that you have to learn all kinds of skills that 
you know, if you want to make this work, you got to figure out what is a custom agent and how to find them and how to contain, you know, all of that. So it yeah. really, um, you know, if you, if you are excited by learning um, and willing to take some risks, because that's also a financial risk. Um, plus, you know, if, if they don't sell, then your garage is full of them for the next decade or whatever. So, you know, but if you're, if you can stomach that, I feel like that is one of the most exciting parts about having your own business. And I have to say that, you know, I just feel like I am responsible to say this. I borrowed money from my family to make that purchase. I didn't just have that. And I carried this weird guilt about that or like, oh, what am I doing? Like you said, what if this doesn't work out? You know, and I just am like in debt to my mom. Um, And then I, I listened to every how I made this podcast I could and kept track, they all say the same thing. I got money from my family or friends. You know, for the most part, they almost all borrow money from somebody at some point and take that dive. It's this leap of faith in yourself. This is going to work out. And you almost put yourself in a position where it has to work out because now your feet are to the fire and you have to make it work. And in some ways that that can be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't just, I didn't just do it, you know, somehow magically on my own. Like I have a great support system. Right, right. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And so um, you were also um, selected by Spoonflower for a small business grant. And this is an opportunity I really want everybody to know about, because I think it's something that could really help people get to the next stage in their business or um, even start a business based on an idea that they have. So can you talk a little bit about what is the small business grant? What did you apply for and what are you doing with that? I think um, that Spoonflower really puts their money where their mouth is. You know, they really believe in small businesses. They really value, they really as a company have values and they share that and show that. And part of the way they do that is through the small business grants. Um, It's my grant is around $990 in Spoonflower fabric. And what I am hoping to do with it, because I really, I I love the creative directions that people can go in with this stuff and inspired by my customers who were designing their own fabric and turning it into shoes. I wanted to create a guide for how to have your fabric, how to create turn your design into fabric and then give people the, you know, the, um, the credit they need, like create a kit that gives them credit to then purchase that fabric on Spoonflower. And then it helps Spoonflower grow emerging designers. Like it would help those emerging designers get onto the marketplace, but also have a product that they can show, you know, that they've made with that, uh, fabric already. And so I was hoping it was just, you know, it will be, because I'm still working on it, um, just a really exciting way to kind of marry those two things, the design and the creative, creating the shoes. Right. That's great. And um, if you can just talk a little bit about how you maybe feel like, you know, you Spoonflower really helped to underpin the growth of your business in some ways. I, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, as I mentioned, I met up with them when I was in craftcation and they quickly invited me to come down to North Carolina. This is pre-pandemic, of course. 
Um, I want to say this was 2018, maybe 2019. So it was really pretty early, actually, in me selling kits. And they invited me down to North Carolina to take a look at this food flower headquarters. And I taught a class at a shop called Freeman's Creative. Um, I think it was one of the biggest classes I've, I've taught. And it was so much fun. It was fabulous. And so everybody in the class printed the fabric they wanted, had their fabric ready and waiting for them. And then we made shoes together one afternoon. Um, so Spoonflower has just really like shown that support um, and always, um, you know, they then I did a blog post series with them showing how to make the shoes and they just blast that stuff all over. I mean, they're so good at sharing the people around them that are doing different, various, exciting things. Um, yeah, so I felt very welcomed into that sort of Spoonflower community and and then when I reached out and asked if they had a willingness to do the coupon code so that people could um, use the coupon co code in order to create their own fabric for the shoes, they were more than happy to do that and always happy to help out with all those things. So yeah, it seems like such a natural extension of the product that you are creating because it's custom made by the maker. And so this is like a secondary way to make it even more custom. So you can have those uterus shoes for your gynecologist. Yes. <laughs> so and I would love to see those because I just imagine like Ooh. this is a way to be able to make shoes that really look how you want. And that's such a super exciting I possibility. Any of the making that we do when, when it's something that we're going to wear, you know, or, or, or things we don't wear quilts and whatever, anytime we're making something, we're expressing ourselves, we're putting a piece of our person onto a textile. And I think with garments and shoes, you're going to wear those out in the world, you're going to show the world those shoes. And you're expressing yourself. So I love that Spoonflower, you know, because there's so many options, there's so much in the marketplace, you can find a way to express yourself through that, through your creative hands um, in any way you want. And I, I just really love that. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. This has been great. You can check out Melissa's business at ahappystitch.com to learn more about her. Today's episode was powered by Spoonflower and Craft Industry Alliance. Get started making your business dreams a reality with Spoonflower, where you'll find over 1 million designs curated from thousands of artists worldwide. If those creative juices are really flowing, try your hand at uploading your own design and see your vision become a reality. Once it does, connect with fellow business owners for advice and support at craftindustryalliance.org. The audio in today's episode was edited and mixed by Matthew Talesfor at Mixture Films. I'm Abby Glassenberg. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And most importantly, tell your friends. Thank you so much.